OCD family community. Can I just say how nice it feels to be sharing a full-length episode with you that's all about this past weekend's 28th International OCD Conference recap. The conference was so great, and my handsome hubs joined me too, so it was a kid-free trip full of adulting, learning, being with colleagues, and with you, fam. It was my pleasure and honor to meet listeners and to just grow the extended OCD family community. So whether you were there or just catching highlights from afar, I wanted to take the time this episode to do a conference recap, including all the re-crap we experienced on our way home. And you know how we do it, fam. This is our community. So I wanted to make sure that I can bring the support and the resources that we learned about back to you. So let's get to it. I'm Nicole Morris, licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health correspondent. And let me be the first to say, welcome to the family, the CD family that is. I am here to create a community of support for family members, spouses, partners, parents, adult children, as there may be adult words and chosen family of OCD sufferers and their community. I've had over 22 years of experience in the mental health field, but please note that this information does not qualify or substitute as a diagnostic evaluation, therapy, or treatment, and it is presented on an as-is basis. Please follow up with a qualified mental health provider in your area regarding concerns for yourself or loved ones. Thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get started. Well, welcome back to the OCD Family Podcast, and I am welcoming back Patrick, my handsome hubs. Hello. Hey, hello. (laughs) So Patrick attended the 28th International OCD Foundation conference with me this past weekend, and it was fun because it was kid-free, first Mm -hmm. of all. It was fun because it was great anyway, but also we moved here from California, so the conference was in San Francisco, and we missed that city, both of us. When we were there, we were like, oh, we love it. I have a lot of fond memories as a kid going there. Yeah, yeah, and I have fond memories of being there, running half marathons there. I've been there with Patrick. I've been there without Patrick. It's, It's a great city. It's expensive. Has so much good celiac friendly food. Mm. We ate well. It's true. So that was fun. But why don't we talk about it? What were your main reasons for attending? Well, I wanted to support you and the podcast, of course. Plus, you were speaking and I wanted to watch you speak. That was a lot of fun. And then also, just as a parent of at least one child who has OCD, at least time is young for the other. Let's see. It, you know, it, 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 I knew that there would be some things that I could ask, which was exciting, and I was able to, so that was good. And just some of the topics in general were interesting anyway. I actually thought I might get bored, to be honest, some of the days, but I never really did. It was It was a great conference. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted him to go, too, because Jack has OCD. Also, his mother, who was on a couple different episodes at the end of last season, suffers from OCD and emetophobia as well. Mm-hmm. We have it on my side of the family. I have wrestled with him in terms of does he have OCD or does his anxiety go by another name? And mm-hmm. so I just thought it would be useful. And it is different hearing it from others and hearing it in sessions and hearing people talk about it a bit more objectively. It's probably different hearing it than it is from me. 
in terms of how it applies directly to ourselves, to our relationships. He is a wife with OCD, as I've mm-hmm. been clear about. You know, it's I, I, I think one of the things that I was taken by is just how smart you are. Because as I was Ooh. listening to a lot of these sessions, I'm like, yep, I've already heard that on the podcast. My wife talked about that extensively. Oh, yeah, I, I know that. Yeah, I know what ego dystonic is. Oh, yeah, I know this. I know that. Like, just all these different things. And I could tell that I was much more equipped than your average person. Average Joe. Average Joe. Well, and... Non-professional in OCD. So you're saying it gave me some street cred. You were like, hey, this stuff stuff checks. It reads. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I like some good street cred for myself. And I think we can really, like, it's when our spouse, when our loved ones, when they speak into us, different concerns, issues, feedback, sometimes we hear it and it's muddied through the lens of us just having already that personal relationship. So sometimes just discussing things with somebody that does not have stake in your family or uh, opinion one way or, or another about you, but is just talking more generally about things that can be helpful. We'll get to this in a little bit in terms of lessons learned, but I think one of those moments was around medication when you were able to go to a session and ask a question about medication. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I was glad that, A, you were able to talk to somebody that wasn't me saying what I know from research in terms of the benefits or concerns, risks, et cetera, for medication, particularly when we think about medicating children. So I think that was good. But yeah, we we went to San Francisco. Fun fact, I got a call the week before a woman that grew up with my husband and his family and best friends with his best friends with best friends and, you know, all very good friends called me to ask some questions going, hey, I, you know, I think I'm running into some OCD and to consult with me on some cases, happened to live about an hour outside of the city. And so she attended. And that was really fun, too, because it was like total reunion for Patrick and her. I've met her a couple times. This is undoubtedly the most amount of time I've spent with her in one trip. But it was so fun. It really was. Yeah. It was really fun seeing her again. Yeah. So if you're listening, friend, hey, friend, <laughs> we'll be talking about some fun moments that she helped sponsor <laughs> later in the podcast. Also, if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, actually, I don't know if I put this on Twitter, threads now, I got to get this up on threads, but... We had quite the debacle coming home. We had some drama. I got kicked off a plane. It's a whole story. And so we're going to talk about that, too, because it was an eventful return. Yeah, it was something. It was something. So in terms of the objective for today. And I'm going to name names, too. By yeah, the way. I bet you are. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to name names. I'm uh-huh. showing the receipts, people. Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. If you want a little bit of tea, we're going to have a tea refreshment later. But first, because this is the OCD family community, I want to talk about some of the more pertinent pieces to OCD that we ran into. So first of all, we attended some of the sessions together, but I really encouraged Patrick to look over the course of sessions and if any of them stuck out to him, to really go and pursue 
listening and hearing and learning from those other sessions. And so he did that on a number of sessions. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to, first of all, think about what were some of your favorite moments from the conference in terms of sessions? Anything that you may have gleaned that was like, huh, that's a new way of thinking about it or something that's thought provoking. I know that you and our friend that the first first or second day we're like hey let's get together i want to debrief about these sessions which was really great so what were some of the top moments for you from the conference this year well let's see i really enjoyed a bunch of these sessions first of all i thought your session was really good i i really did i'm not just saying that it was I didn't good, even pay him to say that. It was a good discussion, and it was facilitated really well. You and Jeremy did a great job with that. I thought the showing was good. A lot of people came, and that was really good to see. And it was just a good discussion overall about neurodiversity, OCD. And that was very interesting. And, you know, I was really impressed with the way everybody sort of engaged yeah they were very engaged i was surprised honestly i was i was surprised you know how it is in conferences like you'll say everybody sits in the back row like a hundred people sit in the back row nobody sits in the first 10 rows you ask them questions and they all just stare at you that's Mm -hmm. what i thought it would be but instead everybody was sitting close and almost every single person said something yeah yeah it was pretty ridiculous like that's not what i (laughs) That's just not what I'm used to. I, yeah. Well, and what, so what I will say is for folks that didn't go to the conference or even if you did, and there were a lot of really interesting talks and groups and activities that were running concurrently. So mm-hmm. there, I know for myself, there were certain time slots where I was like, how can I split myself in multiple pieces? Because I wish I could have gone to all of these things. But what I will say is I co-ran a group with Dr. Jeremy Schumann, who was on the podcast. We did a three-part series on autism last spring. And what we did was we had a support group. So this was like after hours session. They have different tracks for families, for everyone, for parents, for kids, for therapists, for researchers. And The conference runs most of the day and your brain is pretty full. And so we were the first evening group and it was a support group for OCD as a form of neurodivergence. So considering OCD as neurodivergence. And it was a very lively discussion. There was a lot of really great involvement. I saw multiple people from our group throughout the rest of the conference that would come up, had lunch, and it became like, hey, you know, like a little club. It was great. And what I will say about that group, if any of y'all are listening, still feel free to email me or Jeremy and we can get you connected. Jeremy is working with great focus on how to improve liberation-oriented treatment, which I feel proud of because that was like a baby of our autism talk that we came up with some language around that. But also he is working on just having more neurodiversity-affirming treatment and more talks that talk about neurodivergent processing and affirming strategies for therapy. And, And so it was very, very good. He was inspired to really get the ball rolling on helping improve neurodivergent affirming therapies. And people were like, yes, how can I get involved? So that was really, really cool. And we did have really good attendance and really good engagement. So that was really fun. And I met some fabulous people in there. 
I met a fellow podcaster in there who we are going to be in talks so that he can come on the show and I can return that favor. And so that's going to be really great. But yeah, it was a very fascinating, really rich discussion. And I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to co-lead that. So I'm glad that we could touch base with that. And I didn't say he had to say my session. So thanks, babe. In addition to my session, any sessions or talks that kind of stick out for you where you were like, that was good. I, 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 that was, I learned something or that was really entertaining. What do you think? Yeah. The birds and the bees and OCD was a really good one. Yeah. Allegra, Castens, um, Kyle King were in that one. And I believe one other person, I think it was either Samantha or Genevieve, but they, it, that was really good. And it, to be honest, it was quite entertaining. Sex, <laughs> sex and OCD is a subject that creates a lot of funny discussions and they did not hold back. So that was a lot of fun. There's a lot of like automatic built in sense of shame around it with OCD in around some cases. Yeah, with, around sex. Taboo. Yeah. And like it, they did a really good job just being very willing to just chip away at that <laughs> very quickly. And Kyle King, and, what I will say is Kyle King usually does a roundtable for IOCDF roundtable once a month on YouTube with Dr. Jonathan Abramowitz. And so he's going to be continue to be an up and coming advocate and do great things i'm sure for the ocd field and mm -hmm. allegra also is fairly well known a social media influencer a personality oh yeah you can tell <laughs> just yeah she's fantastic yeah and she's such a fierce advocate as well and she does not shy away from talking about things that typically people feel a lot of stigma and taboo around and so she's done really great advocacy work. And so I've heard from multiple people that was yeah. that was a good session. And I'm gonna be reaching out and seeing if, if we can create some of that magic here. But it sounds oh, absolutely, like Allegra. If you're listening, you gotta come on. Allegra, she is great, and yeah. she's done a lot of, a lot of great work for this field. Yeah. And then another one that was helpful to me was the Q and A about medications for OCD. That one had Dr. Stephen Poscar, Christopher Pittenger, Sanjaya Saxena, I think. Sorry if I'm butchering the name. Carolyn Rodriguez and Jamie Fusner. <laughs> sorry if I'm <laughs> sorry if I'm butchering names. They were very I could tell they were very important people. So they were very trustworthy. But also they had a lot of experience. So it was good being able to ask some deep questions with them. I actually got up and asked a question at that one about the developing brains of little kids and these sorts of drugs, and they were very reassuring. First of all, treating OCD with medication or something like ADHD with medication in a little kid, the science behind the particular drugs that are common in that are, have been proven over the course of many, many decades. And they're not, uh, this is not like a new field with these classes of drugs and these drugs in particular. So that was reassuring, but also they weren't just like medicate your kids. They were also very pro making sure that whatever you do, if you do it, make sure you're working with a psychiatrist, make sure that you are getting other treatment for OCD and not just medicating it too. So, but it was nice to know that I didn't need to worry about the development of my children's brains for, for that matter. That was yeah. one thing that concerned me. It did it totally alleviate my concerns. I mean, I would prefer to not have my kids on medication. 
I will say I still prefer that. That being said, just in general, right? That being said, if they need it, if it helps them, like they gave an example when I asked it, like the medication can help them. For example, in the case of ADHD, it's quite possible that their development could be stunted without the medication. Because if you don't have the medication, you may have trouble learning in school and focusing Mm -hmm. and having making connections with other people, other kids their age. So, and I agree with that. And the question is, do they need it? And do they, they don't have to be on it forever either. It's a thing that constantly gets reevaluated. So anyway, it, it was nice hearing from like the ultra experts on that one. Another. Wait, wait, tell what most of the questions were about. Oh yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm not even kidding. Like probably 60% or 70% of all the questions for this panel on medications for OCD was, when can I get psilocybin? When can I get MDMA? When can I get all these different psychedelics? It was really like, please, 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 I want psychedelics now. I saw the Netflix special, you know? It was very much like that. (laughs) Uh, They even brought up the Netflix special. Because seriously, like, everybody wants psychedelics. Like, everybody. It's like the 1960s all over again. Well, psilocybin, (laughs) for people that are unfamiliar, are mushrooms. And there are some experimental trials going on. Not Very limited ones. Very limited, because it's illegal. Uh, Well, I mean, they can do it. They just have to get... Approval well, there has to, to yes, no, there has to be, and the, and they're not yeah. only happening in the states. I know one of the guests I had on from the UK was in a psilocybin yeah, trial. Yeah, they mentioned Europe. Yeah. yeah, and so that's what those are mushrooms. MDMA for people that don't know is is it it's ex, is it speed or I ecstasy? think it's ecstasy. Oh, I, don't I don't quote me though. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not an expert. All in I drugs. know <laughs> about MDMA is from the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. I don't know if that's Something I should admit or not. But that's my experience. Is MDMA the same thing as Molly? I think that's ecstasy. It might be. Okay. Molly and ecstasy, I think, are the same. Yeah. Anyway, so we're talking, what is the effects? Could there be a regulated form of pharmaceutical therapy or psychopharmaceutical therapy? And tell about the woman. Oh, yeah. There was a woman... (laughs) Who got up, and I don't even think she would care if we said this because she's uh, she very much very she's very, very vocal. Uh, she got transparent. Up, she got up and she said, <laughs> I'm in my sixties, and there is no way in hell I will ever do ERP. So when can I get psilocybin? Was basically her question. <laughs> yeah. Which ERP for anybody uh, new listening? Uh, is exposure and response prevention therapy. So exposing yourself to the things that are triggering your obsessional thoughts yeah. and resisting. I mean, I appreciated her honesty. Compulsion. She's like, I'm not doing that yeah. shit. When can I have the shirts? Never. Yeah. yeah so exactly. that, that was pretty entertaining. I went to one hoarding disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one had, let's see... That, it reminds me of when we watched an episode of Hoarding. I don't like the show Hoarders, by no, the way. No, no, I don't either. But Patrick's like, let's check out an episode. We watched like the most depressing episode oh, of Hoarders. And I was like. It was so depressing. He was like, usually it's I, not as hard as this. I'm like, it's always hard. I turned to Nicole and I was like, 
why are we watching this? It is depressing as hell. I'm like, welcome to Warders. There's, <laughs> it's a deep-seated thing. It's not just an Tragic. entertainment show. Yeah, no, it was sad. It yeah. was genuinely sad. Well, anyway, I went to this hoarding one, and they don't like the show either, obviously. <laughs> yeah. That show at least came up once. But it was a very interesting talk as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I got up and asked, I got up and asked, like, what can family members do? Because they were talking very clinically. So one of the things I noticed was this is a conference full of professionals, right? But but it also had some people who were just desperate for answers. Well, and, and they so, have different tracks. You can attend like a therapist yeah, track, but it is going to be a lot but more everybody, clinical. But everybody goes to everything, I yeah. think. So anyway, I noticed that they were getting a lot of clinical questions from therapists who are trying to come up with treatment plans and stuff. And I just got up and said, hey, I'd love to know, like, for family members, I don't even know if they were prepared to take a question like this, but they actually answered it really well. So maybe they were. But I I essentially said, you know, what, what about family members who they don't even have family members yet who would even admit the problem and they might be in total denial and how do you actually go and as a family member talk to them and help them get to that place because everything in that discussion up to that point was about how people who already admit that they have the problem Mm -hmm. can go find treatment and how to become a therapist who can treat it and I got a round of applause for that question because apparently a lot of people wanted to know that answer. I'm not surprised because if you caught, so last season I did an OCD related disorder series and I had the president of OCD Midwest, Gabriella Fagella, on and she talked about how 0% of her hoarding clients, 0% came in saying I have a hoarding issue. The insight is very low around hoarding. It's usually I'm feeling anxiety and stress, and we find out through the back door that Mm -hmm. maybe there's some hoarding behaviors, if not even a a bigger problem like hoarding disorder happening. And so actually it's very, very common. I guarantee they were prepared for that because very few people are coming in going like it would be the outlier not the norm to come in and be like hey i have a trouble with hoarding they don't see it as a trouble with hoarding yeah and and by the way just to be clear it wasn't a round of applause it was a smattering of claps just i'm not (laughs) saying it was a round of applause i'm not saying it was like a hundred people did y'all check out so if anybody who's over here i still uh, i just have to side no hoarders and people around hoarders and children of hoarders they have big feelings and I think we talked about this before, but I don't think it made the episode about my first like negative slash hate tweet that I received mm-hmm. from the for the podcast was you're going to like you can't please everybody. Right. And so you're not always going to get positive feedback. And, and I do try to take in whatever feedback I get. But I remember how I had my hoarding episode. I got I think it was a tweet. About, like, not today, Nicole Morris. Or no, not today, family podcast. Oh, <laughs> that made it even funnier. You, OCD family podcast, we won't be belittled by your writing off of abuse. And, and I was like, whoa. And look here, look here. 
I know you from your perspective. Hey, you're you welcome the kind of comment like that. You're yeah. definitely not shaming them. No, you know it's <laughs> it like that's fine. I'm you not. can go have your feelings. That's okay. I told Patrick I've arrived. Um, I've gotten a hate tweet, and he was like, "What? Yeah. We've read it, and we had a moment of reflection. Yeah, it was it was it was something." I also thought two other panels were quite interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, the Misophonia panel, which was jam-packed. They had mm -hmm. booked a tiny little room for it. They probably didn't realize how much interest there was in it. Misophonia had so much interest, it was packed to the gills. I, it was insane. I don't know. I think they know there's interest and they knew there weren't answers and they were like, we're going to limit that shit. Oh, I man, could be maybe. wrong. The panel basically didn't have any answers. Right. I was with the friend that we mentioned on that one who was very interested in that. Mm -hmm. Well, and they struggle with, with misophonia as their well. Their answer so. to almost every question was, it's early days. We don't know yet, but we're working on it. And that's it. I and mean, that was true. really the truly that is the... That was the entire session that's in a true. nutshell. And I don't think they would disagree with what I'm saying. So but. for anybody listening and going, what is misophonia? And you may have, I feel like there was like a trend on Facebook. I'm old, so Facebook, maybe on TikTok or whatever other places starting to inform. But like when you get very dysregulated and agitated or frustrated at, the, at certain sounds that can really trigger almost this kind of primitive reaction sometimes in folks and aggression yes and often it it's can... not the same there is a difference between like synesthesia where you have like your where you may hear a sound and it gives you a funny feeling this isn't even that or you hear a sound and you see a color this isn't that it's and it's not just simply a sensory a disorder where you're just irritated by no, the sounds. It's a this is like wiring. this is like you get mad. Like you yeah. hear the sound and you get like really angry, enraged. It sometimes, and it's only particular sounds that cause it. It's very distressing to people, and right. so there has been a little bit more information coming out about this in more recent years through social media. Not always accurate. Sometimes more accurate, and sometimes less. So you have to take social media with a grain of salt, but. There has been more awareness around this. And so what I will say is I get calls at my office even where people say, please, please, like you treat OCD. Can you do this? And misophonia has somewhat been attributed with an OCD and OCD related disorder category. But the problem is they're doing shit ton of research on it and there just really isn't yeah. reliable, viable data saying this yet. is gonna help yet yeah the yet. thing that was hard about that was like there was one woman in there who is desperate, was for, answers. desperate for answers she's a mother who i think she said that she got into the profession of being a therapist just so that she could help her kids more because her right. kids have been struggling especially with misophonia yeah and she was, I mean, I think she broke down. She was very, at the microphone, she was very upset. Yeah. And they couldn't really offer her any hardcore answers yet. I mean, they just, and it's, they were like, you're a super mom and all that. And I know that they want to offer her answers, but they just didn't have them yet, yeah, which is I, unfortunate. So. I think you you and our friend reported like, you know, the, the power of a mother's love. And I can't tell you how many people in the PANS and PANDAS community, so that is when 
OCD symptoms and these diagnoses trigger from an autoimmune response or an infection where we have OCD then suddenly show up overnight and it's like your child or your loved one has been completely transformed by it. I mean, there are a number of people I met that have gotten into the field through trying to have this fierce advocacy for their loved ones and then ended up like trying to also help others with the knowledge they were gaining, etc. And so I think that it is really hard. Misophonia at best, from my working understanding, I'm by no means an expert in misophonia, but I think at best right now, doing CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is not going to eliminate it. But for some coping strategies, when you do feel that influx of rage or Mm -hmm. distress, this is the best thing they have to offer. And that's not a solution. That's literally like Band-Aid symptom management. It's better than nothing, but it's not touching the problem. Right. But they are working on it a lot. Eric Storch, Dr. Eric Storch, who was on the podcast talking to about our research roundup last season, and he was You should all... get him on to do a misophonia update. You know, I was going to do a misophonia episode with him last season, potentially, and we just we ran out of time. But what I will say, and I may, but what I will say is I know that he's continuing to work hard on oh, yeah. any solutions. That was clear. Liability-wise, they can't. And even if, you know, within cancer, all sorts of different areas... If you have some clinical trials that go on that are promising, you can't go out and verbalize that because they have to replicate those trials, make sure that the outcomes are significant and and related to this thing that they're saying will help. Otherwise, if they were to go out and say this, all these people desperate for answers for misophonia would run out and do this thing that may not help at all. Mm-hmm. And so they have an ethical responsibility before they say this can work to prove that it can work. And so even when a trial or a study turns out, well, if, you know, could that have been a fluke? Could that have been luck? We want better than luck for your loved ones and for sufferers. And so they have to replicate it. They have to make sure that the variable they're saying is going to make a difference actually makes a difference. So it is hard because when you see that kind of suffering, you feel your, you know, rips your heart out to go like, I'm, I would do anything. And if I was told there's absolutely no answer, I'm going to the international conference and there's no answer, that feels hopeless. But what I will say is they're continuing to hack away about it. And why it was so full is because it is, it's a problem. And yep. they're, they're continuing to work on that. All um, right. And then the, the last one I'll talk about is the... There was an ICBT one that was also packed, similar mm-hmm. to the misophonia one. The entire conference is very much behind e- the ERP approach, and so there was a lot of resources on that. Mm-hmm. The ICBT one was really good, and the discussion was good, and I could tell there was a lot of interest for that. It's definitely newer in the American market in terms of a, a market, but the American like side of things. It's a newer approach to a lot, even though it's been around for a very long time, apparently, but it's also gaining some steam as of late. And it seemed like there was a lot of interest in it. And I thought some of the answers that the panelists gave were just fantastic. One, One guy in particular asked a great question about what's if if patients already know that they're crazy, then what is the point in? ICBT, where you're helping them understand 
the folly in their reason in their reasoning. Yeah. It's like they already they come in, they know, they they already know. And that I thought that was such a good question because it was such an a boiled down question, but with such big consequences in terms of how they may or may not answer it. And they answered it with flying colors. They absolutely explained it, not in a way that I can repeat because I'm not as <laughs> smart as those people. But it was very good. And at the time, I thought, yes, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that a lot of people there got a lot out of that. Uh, by the way, the lady in her 60s who said, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to do ERP, actually asked a question in that group as well. And she's like, I want to know more because, of course, she doesn't want to do ERP. Right. So maybe here is an approach for her, right? That's so, not illegal mushrooms. Yes, Imagine. exactly. She's like, I still want the mushrooms, but. <laughs> she didn't say that. No, but, but she probably was, was thinking like, it. But, but, I, but I got a feel for her in the other one. She's still mm -hmm. going for the mushrooms. No, what's funny is I want to explain. First of all, ICBT stands for Inference-Based Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. It has about 30 some odd years of research behind it, multiple, I want to say 80, 90 studies, randomized controlled trials, peer reviews, independent labs that are looking, not a lot of labs, but there are independent labs that are looking at these different studies. These are all things we want to see when we're talking about evidence-based practice. And there was an ethics session that a lot of the professional field, I feel, attended where they did credit this, yes, that there were some independent labs that were doing that and that it is an evidence-based practice. But there's been, uh, I guess, void is what I will say in terms of information, at least in the U.S. about this, until now. I think there's really a lot of growing momentum. So last season, around episode 20 or 21, I think, maybe it is 20 and 21, I interviewed Mike Hetty, who was on the panel. He was talking and explaining ICBT to me as a treatment for OCD. And I have to admit, I had heard whisperings of ICBT before that. It all sounded nuts to me. It sounded like glorified rumination. But I am also, I've been in this field 20 some odd years before I started treating OCD. And so I wasn't married to ERP being the only way. And honestly, if you're in any other field of mental health, there are multiple evidence-based practices that say there's more than one way to look at this issue. And so it was odd to me coming into OCD that really it was ERP. We can sprinkle in some ACT, which is acceptance. But I, if I may say, and the panel was very clear on this, I don't think ICBT poses any threats to no, ERP. No, I don't either. In fact, yeah. they were very good. Clear. They were mm -hmm. very like it, clear that they think that ERP is a gold standard that can stick around. Like there's not, there's no issue there. Like I, I think that the evidence is overwhelming that ERP works, right? Oh, so, yeah. and that based on, I am a layman admittedly, but based on everything I have listened to here at this podcast and seen, ERP seems like that should absolutely be embraced. But it's just nice to have other options, too, right. for the people that might say, there's no way in hell I'll ever do ERP. Or even if they would do ERP, what would be a better way to address this? This is kind of like if someone was mm -hmm. going to say, I'm going to go on a diet. There's not only one diet. It's not only reduce your calories and diet and exercise. Mm -hmm. It's not only keto. It's not only paleo. It's not only Whole30. It's not only whatever you could do. It's yeah. not medication. It's not only whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, and here's... Coming into OCD, so I felt this fierce, protective 
need to be mindful of doing the right kind of therapy for an OCD client because what we learn is other forms of therapy, while well-intentioned in their own ways, I want to believe well-intentioned in other ways, can actually make OCD worse. So psychodynamic talk therapy, EMDR, though great for trauma, for OCD, not, 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 recommended. not recommended, absolutely for trauma. EMDR, people might get a little bit huffy about that, but it is not indicated for OCD. And if anything, what we learn is some of the strategies that you might pick up in EMDR can become pretty high-level compulsions. It's how it's functioning for the treatment. So I think people come at this well-intentioned and protective because you got people out there going brain spotting for one, which is just, if you're a brain spotter, I don't know, take issue with me if you want. It's not an evidence-based practice for OCD. It's not helping OCD. I'm not saying that you can't think outside the box and different things, but this is, I, I feel angry, actually, when people sway folks that need help into an avenue that is literally pouring gasoline on the fire. And so I think a lot of OCD specialists then are protective because even CBT, which ERP is a part of, as is ICBT, CBT can be harmful if not utilized in the right way for OCD. Things mm -hmm. like thought-stopping techniques. Well, that's avoidance. Avoidance is a form of a compulsion. Mm -hmm. Sometimes reframing and mental reviewing and doing some of these different things where we're like actually just ruminating more and more on it, going into therapy and talking more and more about underlying implications and meaning that really is just, again, fanning the flame of the compulsions. Let's talk about it more. In fact, I'll pay you. I'll come in. I'll see you weekly to compulse. And so I think that a lot of OCD specialists come from a place of wanting to protect. But ICBT is not that same deal there, just fanning the flame. In fact, it actually proposes a mechanism for change and a mechanism for what's driving OCD and inferential confusion. It's a very dense model. If you are Interested in learning more, I have a water cooler chat about ICBT. It's one of my treatments that quench along with European medication. I also have a number of ICBT episodes that I started with that Mike Hattie episode through the rest of season one. And I pretty much talk about ICBT and ERP at least a little bit in every episode. So I don't see it as a threat. I see it as a treatment that quenches, something that can be hydrating. Well, it's evidence-based. And it's evidence-based. I mean, um, that was, that was uh, talked about. Some of, the, some of the ERP camp would say it's not empirically uh, supported treatment, which is a status coined by the APA here. But it is an evidence-based treatment. And it, gotcha. is, it is shy of a meta-analysis, and it's in process of, of working towards that for APA. So it is a treatment that quenches, but there's been a void of information about that. So it was interesting that woman, that six-year-old woman, was also like, yeah, you know, like, I don't give a damn who hears IOCDF should be providing more information. It was, it was quite a saucy little uh, chat, but I will say the panel... Some of the best top-notch experts in our field handled it beautifully, gave really good explanations. And if you're new to OCD or new to the podcast, when Patrick says, 
if they're already crazy, he's not saying that we're sitting there looking and pointing at clients and saying they're crazy. But people with OCD sometimes will tell you, I know this doesn't make sense. I know it's not right. true. Yeah. But I can't Thank stop you for thinking. Clarifying I that. can't stop yes. feeling that way. And so the, it wasn't that the man was like, they know they're crazy. But ICBT is talking about yeah. reasoning errors. And so he was basically saying, if they already know they're having a reasoning error, but they can't stop, what's the point yeah. of going, think, but you're I having a reasoning I think the way it was error. said was that, that the ideas, he's been told by his own clients that they know that some of their ideas are crazy, not that they are crazy. Right. Yeah. They're just saying, I know yeah. it's not true, but I can't stop my brain from braining. Right. And so what's the point of going, oh, did you realize your brain's not braining correctly? Yep. And 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 they handled it very well in saying, yeah, that's not the point. Right. In ICBT, our, the point is realizing why this was so convincing, because we're using logic, but we're using it in these obsessional inferences of doubt where we are literally talking about irrelevant possibilities rather than what's going on with the here and now evidence. So it was an that was an excellent presentation as well. It was really well attended. There were people sitting in the aisles. There were people crowded at the doors. Every seat was filled, and it was an exciting. They were laying down on the floor. It was an exciting. <laughs> it was everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. It, it was an exciting time to see yeah. some some hope. Really, I think that that bubbled up for people. And I talked with some clinicians that were like, "Hey, I thought this was bullshit before, but I'm sold." And so that was exciting. I think we'll see more. Yeah. It's always interesting to see. Speaking of exposures, should we talk about your exposure this trip? <laughs> With the car? Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Yes. Okay, so, so this is a non-conference moment, but mm -hmm. fun in San Francisco. So our friend that we met up with, well, first of all, let's talk with, about Waymo first. Because this is where this, all the stuff started coming I'm, together. I'm a programmer. I'm techie. Long story short, I told Nicole, oh, we're going to San Francisco. I hear that there are Waymo cars driving around with no drivers. I want to ride in one. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I told my sister-in-law this, and she looked at me like, what are you, nuts? Uh, but that's <laughs> the look she gave me. She didn't say it. But, yeah, no, I do. I want to try it. Turned out you have to be on a waiting list. Womp womp. So I and signed they... up as soon as I got there. I didn't know that. You have to be in the city to even sign up. So I signed up when I got there and then it was like waiting list. Oh, great. Okay. So I guess I'm not going to Of like 400 one. people in front of him. Who, well, who knows? These how many, cars but... only run in a certain part of the city from 930 on. I learned this from Christina Orlova. If you're listening, Christina, hey, her fiance has... Uh, he's on like the he's Waymo in the list. he's in the Waymo club club. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So Patrick was bummed because he wants a robot car to drive him around. Yeah, I'm live in the future. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I and then I was bummed. But then our friend who was with us said, "Oh, I have a Tesla." And we were like, we were like "You do?" I, yeah. She. Uh, we didn't expect. We didn't that. know she had a Tesla. No, we didn't know. She was full of surprises. Yeah. And so well, she was like, "Yeah, my husband thinks that's interesting, but he'll just put our Tesla in self-driving mode." And Patrick was like, "What?" Yeah. Well, uh, so I said to her, "I'm like, any chance you could bring that?" And I would, I would like pay you if you let Patrick drive it. Which, of course, they like grew up together. And she's like, "Please, he's my brother. I'm a different mother. Of course, he can oh, that's take so it sweet. out." But but she was so, so generous. She came. She paid for in-and-out privileges out of our hotel. Oh, so expensive. 
very expensive in San Francisco. Let him drive multiple times. Mm -hmm. So Patrick and let the car drive Patrick multiple times. Yeah, I got in the car. I put it in self-driving. Man, that was so cool. That was my favorite time of the whole trip. I so I rode in the. I've never even been in a Tesla. I had never been in a Tesla. I could not figure out how to open the door. Cool. I was like, "What?" The whole talk about a sunroof. The whole roof was like glass. Yeah, Teslas are awesome. And so, yeah. I mean, I I like like okay. I'm a I'm not a car person at all. I'm not a car person at all. But he's really into the. I'm really into artificial intelligence and the idea that a car can drive you is just so amazing. It's a battery. Yeah. So I I was excited and the self driving did not disappoint. It was making lane changes. It was getting aggressive when it needed to and being safe. It's like asshole drivers. Yeah, like it it would be like it would be like an asshole back to them. The only thing it didn't have was a flip off uh, thing where it flips people off. But our friend did say you could you could program the horn to be anything you wanted. So I guess you could. It Give was, the old, big old finger yeah, to somebody. It, at the it was pretty amazing. I, I really want a Tesla now. Yeah. So just Rout for row. context, my OCD likes to get loud when I'm in the car. Yeah. Here comes the exposure. I feel very yeah. anxious when I feel like not in control. Mm-hmm. And even if I feel in control of the vehicle, I can't control it all the other So imagine how she must feel if she's in the back seat while not only is she being driven by somebody else but she's being driven by the car and the car is like speeding up to get around I'm like somebody sitting in the i'm sitting in the driver's seat but the wheels turning on its own the car... that thing is driving and speeding up and slowing down uh, and nicole point... is like holding on for dear life oh i did better than that i old me would have held on for dear life i said i sat back yeah. there and i said yeah i'm doing exceptionally well for oh, this yeah. You and didn't scream. You never screamed. I wasn't gripping on for dear life you, either. In the past, you would have screamed. Of course. At least once or twice. I'm not shy about that. I, or grabbed but, me. But I did like, feel a need for break. some validation, not necessarily like constant yeah. reassurance, but I'm like, somebody needs to know how well I'm doing. Can I, can I just say, by the way, our friend was saying that she gets nervous too, and so only her husband. With uses, the self-driving With the feature. self-driving her she only she told me only her husband uses it well i felt like it was less uh, this is going to sound crazy but it it felt like less stress to me that's crazy because i was in a city that i didn't know very well once it was in autopilot i actually didn't have to pay attention to where we were going all i had to do was monitor that the car was not being unsafe does that make sense so like yeah essentially like i didn't actually have to worry about all the other external things like what what turn are we going to make what lane do i need to be in like the car managed all of that are we going the wrong way on a one-way street in a town i don't know are we going up a hill when is is that a stop sign or a light i can't see it's too high it's the steep hill yeah cuz the elevations in the san car did all of that the car did all of that i'm not yeah. used to san francisco so all i had to do was make sure that the car was being sane and it was yeah, and what so it was I, actually very low stress what for me. What I will me. say is, if you've <laughs> never been in a Tesla or tried the self-driving function in a Tesla, it does require you to keep your hand on the wheel. Yeah, it wants to wheel feel the resistance of your because hand. it wants to know yeah. if like there is some kind of air factor. And what I will say in a city like San Francisco, where there's a bunch of lines on the street that aren't just road lines, but trolley lines and all sorts of shit, 
it did get confused a couple of times. Yeah, it did. But um, and some, so from once your hands on the wheel, obvious things because that, you that can immediately confusing. retake control of the car just oh just yeah. by grabbing your hand the, is, should already yeah. be on the wheel. Right. Literally, all I have and to do is turn. If <laughs> and then you it's... take your hand off the wheel, it will yeah. actually like come out of the it will initiate driver mode again because it'll yeah, be like, it'll, no, it'll, you need to be the supervisor and it duty. won't and it won't let you use the autopilot again until you turn off the car completely and restart it oh i didn't know that yeah so like if you don't follow the rules it's like no it's either. like consequences bitch yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> Yeah, so it's a smart car. It is a smart it's car. It's like an artificially intelligent car. Yeah, Very so cool. it was it was surreal. Very then fun. then my <laughs> then my friend was like, We gotta take this on the freeway so you can at least feel some oh, of its power. And because of where the hotel and where we went to dinner somewhat nearby was very close to where the 101 goes over. I'm like such a SoCal person. So 101 people up there would be like, oh, you don't say the. And anyway, this is the whole SoCal. This is SoCal, NoCal, though. But NoCal would be like, that's hella wrong. We just say 101. But anyway, we he gets on and it immediately starts taking us over one of the bridges that connects San Francisco, there's multiple bridges. Golden Gate being one of the more famous ones. This is ones, the other but, big bridge. But this is it's the, not the this Golden wasn't Gate. The Golden it's the Gate. other one. Oakland Bridge, I think. But yeah. he starts driving on it, and we're, and, and we're like, oh, crap, we're not supposed to be on the bridge. And so there is, like, a service station where, like, utility workers or whatever, you know. Yep, and I did a U-turn there, and I went to hit it you, because I had to get. No, no, I'm you telling can, the story. But you can U-turn we... in there, but it's literally, imagine, like, a six- or seven-lane highway where there's not even an on-ramp. It's like, I'm going to left turn onto a freeway. Yeah, with no on-ramp with at all. With no on-ramp. So in a regular, like, gas-powered-engined car, that would be, like, scary if it's busy. And it was really oddly busy. At yeah, time although I waited for a good gap. I mean, it wasn't like there were cars within feet. He did. Anyway, I punched it. And I'm not, again, I'm not a car guy. I never speed. I never we do anything. We were warned that the punch goes quickly in a Tesla. Yeah, so too. I punched it on the Tesla, and it was like a roller coaster. It was it like, was have you ever ridden Superman at Magic Mountain? It was faster. It was like. It was faster than that. I felt g It was. Yes, it, he went from literally like zero to 70 in a second. I mean, maybe not quite that fast, but it was pretty fast. And it was it like, was very, and you felt fast. your body go, mm, yeah. right, like <laughs> yeah. into the sea. Yeah. And I was like. That's so fun. I am. I want again, one. And again, I was like, I just want to say I am doing extremely well back here. Like not <laughs> my idea of fun. Yeah. So you had your ERP experience. Yes. Yes. I didn't. You did not. You did not have to... your response. You did not. You had the exposure and you prevented the response. I did, yes. but I did want credit. I was like, somebody take a Polaroid. This is a moment. I deserve praise because I did that. I, yep. It was a hard exposure. Give me some praise. Yep. But yes, Teslas are really cool. And then it was funny because we Ubered to the airport at the end of our trip and our Uber driver happened to drive a Tesla. And now I've learned how to get into the Tesla. Like yeah. I am like a regular, like, oh yeah, I'm riding Teslas all the time. I have because a I could not figure out how to open the door. I, I have officially. a confession. What? 
I spent $5 more to order a Tesla in particular. You did? I I didn't tell you that. I wanted to leave San Francisco on a high note, so I actually bought the Tesla version of Uber. You did? I didn't tell you. It was only $5. I don't know. You cuber. I was like, oh, look, it's a Tesla. What's funny? <laughs> What's fu- It gave you an option of, do you want this? Well, was I it chose, an UberX? No, no, it wasn't. The, it was like only five bucks more. And it was a, Gosh, it was, it was the electric comfort version. This person here, Patrick was Morris, like, he was like, what are the odds of Tesla? Apparently pretty good <laughs> since you ordered one. Yeah. Thanks well, for I, that. I ordered an electric luxury car is what I ordered. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, you're what like, I besides know Tesla? what he'll get. Of course it'll be a Tesla. <laughs> I was so happy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> then the guy, he's driving us. And I'm like, funny enough, as he must have thought, you guys ordered this. What are you talking about? I'm like, how random. It happens to be a Tesla. It's a Tesla we got. I know. Well, then he. I then, couldn't help it. So then I, I knew said. it was going to be the last time I got into Tesla for a long I, time. I am, and it's $5. Listen. I am a very, like, I love to socialize with the Uber drivers. We, we, we build bridges when I'm in an Uber yeah, ride, true. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. You are pretty chatty with our Uber drivers in Dallas, I will say. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't like, hey, join in. Speaking was, of which. Yeah, but we'll get there in just a second. But what I will say is I told the Uber driver on the way to the airport, I said, you know, what's funny is my husband just... We just were in a Tesla. Our friend has one, and and he was driving it. This car accelerates crazy fast. I felt like the driver was, like, chatting with us a little bit. The driver said, like, nothing. He just smiled. But Patrick could see him because Patrick was, like, on the other side of the backseat. And he was, like, he was, like, yeah, it does. Kind of, like, He had the look. I know. This is good shit. Mm -hmm. But I was, like, but he didn't comment at all. And I'm, like, I mean, it gets crazy fast. Like, I felt G-forces. And he was, like, silent. And I was, like, I guess we're not going to talk about the car. (laughs) (laughs) New subject. Okay. So we went to the airport. We had one connection. First of all, I was feeling bougie and fun because I can ride off this trip. But also, I don't love being in the car for extended hours. And I feel like we put in our time being cheap ass when it comes to travel. I'm still, I still love a good deal. But we would travel two, three hours just to get a flight that was $100 less. And I'm like, you know what? And I don't need, and we do it even though I don't love being in the car, but I was like, we are going to fly out of our town or little airport. And I need to prepare the audience for this. You will all be appalled by what we're about to say. Well, that's, that's, uh, you're you building will. great expectations. This is ridiculous. So, this is a ridiculous we, story. It is and ridiculous. I know that because I've told several people this story and they're all appalled. They're every like, time I tell this them. is ridiculous. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> we had one connection we flew out of our little airport. We had one connection in Dallas on the way to San Francisco. The flight to Dallas was great. No problem. Right. And then yep. we had a flight back San Francisco to and Dallas. And uh, like connection. I said, I'm going to name names. This is American Airlines, for those of you who may wonder. Hi, American Airlines. Yeah, I'm sure they're all listening. Yeah, I'm they're sure like, they what are. do we do? A CD Family Podcast conference recap. What? We're on there too? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. But. Also, this is only the first of a many million bites that I'm going to take out of them. With <laughs> oh this. my gosh. Okay. 
Not that we hold a grudge or anything. No, but they yes. owe us. Okay. They really owe so, us. So <laughs> here's the deal. We fly we fly from San Francisco to Dallas. And there was there a storm at that time? I don't know. There was a, um, oh, there was there was a plane at our gate. Yeah. And we're delayed on taxiing in. And we had a very short layover. Mm-hmm. So we are waiting to taxi in, and you know they close those doors and will not reopen them for any reason at yep. like ten FAA regulations. Ten minutes before the flight takes off. Yeah. So we are in crunch time. Long we story short, we had to rush from deplaning our one plane to the to next to a whole plane. other terminal, and we made it. We made it actually with a little time. And Patrick was, was not thrilled. Because he wanted to get, use the facilities, he wanted to grab a snack, and there wasn't time. There wasn't any time. We so just had to walk. We on had the plane. to. We literally yeah. got over there, and our group was already boarding, and all yeah. of the things. Right. So first, what sets up the flavor of this experience is, is I'm just mildly annoyed at this. We point. are getting on yeah. the plane with the same carry-on luggage that we've traveled with the entire For the three trip. Three legs prior. Three legs. Who's counting? He is. Uh, three legs prior, and a gentleman at the gate who's supervising things. See, in fact, he was the supervisor on duty. Yeah, we know this. We know it now. <laughs> we know it now. Stops Patrick and tells him that he needs to check his bag. Or yeah, or he said, "Can you put it in that little measuring thing?" Because he thought it looked too fat. So I put it in, and it. By the way, it did fit in the measuring thing. I mean, it fit ladies like jumping into a pair of jeans, if you know, you know, which. Yeah, no, it it did, but it fit. It technically did. You may have to lay down and and shimmy into it. And they were like, oh, you have to check it. And I said, well, I I rode this plane before with this bag, this exact bag with the same stuff in it. And they said, yeah, but this is a smaller plane. They're like, nope. I said, no, no, this is the same plane I took from our home city. Like, I did. And they were like, it will break our overhead bin. You have to check it. And then they said, unless you can zip up that, you know how some of them have those extenders? Some of those luggage bags. Yeah. They're like, unless you can zip up that extender, you have to check it. So I was like, ugh. So I zipped up the extender and I'm like, there. He like manhandled I, that bag. Like, uh, and well, because, like, went, because he was, he was annoyed. I was just, I was annoyed. I wasn't yeah, like, it wasn't I wasn't mind. horrifically it was, annoyed. No, you weren't, but you were like, okay. There it is. And, it and I was, up. And I was like, yeah. yo, Tone, don't. Just I was chill, chill. And he I was, was like, annoyed. what, 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 you know? And so anyway, that's our our yeah, walk so onto the plane. We board the plane and we call our kids. And uh, uh, uh. First, we get on the plane and Patrick's like, well, I didn't get to get a snack. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm like, you go to the bathroom. Oh, I yeah. got to go to the bathroom okay, too. Okay. I go to the bathroom in the back of the plane. And by the way, the porta, the, it's a the porta potty. potty. I call it a porta potty because in this case, it was the dirtiest bathroom, pl- plane bathroom I've ever been so on. So gross. It, it was, was really gross. My feet were like, Ugh. it was so gross. That gave me chills just thinking about it. It was pretty nasty. It was nasty. so gross. Like, and so then, and then I go like very quick, you know, I'm, I'm a dude. I went very fast. And then I came out. Explain. I came out <laughs> and I sat down. And then Nicole's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Yeah, she so needs to go. I go back there, but I am like, hyper responsible about making sure i'm not breaking rules because literally the plane <laughs> oh, is the like irony the plane is locking up you know and all that and so there is a woman a flight attendant in the back of the plane 
And I looked at her and I said, I'm so sorry. We just landed and had to run to the Skylink and run over here and we we're boarding. I just really have to go to the bathroom. Is it okay? <laughs> I step in here and she was like, ma'am, you don't need to explain it to me. Like, I get it. It happens. We've all been there. We've been there. You do you. Go in there. Okay. Mini, mini, moo. Mini, mini, moo. Yeah. That's the inside joke. But anyway, so then I go I go in there, and it is. It's sticky, and Patrick had warned me it was sticky. Ugh. I go in, and not only is it sticky, like, it's just disgusting. It's gross, yeah. I look at, like, the sink basin area, and though a smaller plane, these bathrooms are much bigger than the bigger planes, small bathrooms. Sometimes. I know, because I've, the ones with, like, the changing table, if you've ever traveled with an infant, you're like, what is this bullcrap? This isn't a changing table. But anyway. Yeah, it folds out like origami. Yes. And you're like, there's no room for me, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, it's. So anyway, I am in there and it's gross and they are like still throwing what I would say throwing luggage in the undercarriage. Into the plane underneath the bathroom. Because yeah. it feels like, have you ever been in like an elementary school and the poor schmuck that has like the office that is literally like a piece of board? It's like nothing more. I'm like, I feel like this bathroom is made of this crap board and I can hear all the luggage getting thrown in the back. And at one point, and, I, okay, she I hear, gets in there hey, and like a second goes by and I hear a ding and I hear the it's, you know, the fastened seatbelt the sign is on. And then I hear this like, eh, 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 and I'm like, what is that sound? And then I thought, like, is it coming from me? I can't tell where it's coming from. I'm in the little cardboard porta potty. And so I'm like, ugh. And so I'm just like, I'm going to get out of here. Then I hear frantic knocking. I'm like, yo, I've been in there like not even 30 seconds. I'm like, I am going to the bathroom. I will be out in a moment. I'm washing my hands at this time. I get out. I'm like, that was disgusting. I walk up to Patrick and I'm like, that was like literally not being facetious that was like literally the grossest, the grossest airplane bathroom, airplane bathroom yeah, i've been in it he's was. like right <laughs> so i sit down and we decide to call our kids because they're going to be in bed by the time we land in our home airport because of the time change and travel etc and we had promised we call them every day and all of that and so i called <laughs> you said that like well, it was, it was the, it was, it's not a bad thing, but it's really, it was a really annoying time when we had to call. So but. we call and for whatever reason, cause you know, certain planes, they turn on the Wi-Fi, and then you can't really connect well. And like the video kept getting stuck. And my son, my oldest was asking like the same question 90 times over and couldn't hear our response. And this was annoying. And so I was like, just hang up. We'll call my sister who's watching the kids. We're gonna. We'll talk to them that way and just be like, sorry, I love you. But when you wake up in the morning, we'll be there. This is what we keep saying to them. So it's past that time where they're like, please turn all your electronic devices to airplane mode. And we were on the phone. And so Patrick gives me one of his earbuds. We're talking on there. So like we're not disturbing other passengers. We're both. Buckle up, in. audience. This is where it gets crazy. And when I feel that, you know, that feeling of someone's like hovering over you, standing very close to you, that you're not expecting someone to be hovering or standing close to you. I start to get that feeling and I look up and it's the gentleman. The same gentleman that was like, squeeze your badass bag into this Yes, thing the same guy. Who yep. dipped 
have the loveliest tone with us either. Not that one tone makes it right for another tone, but still. Right. And he's standing there. And he leans down and to I, talk to you. And I, like, I'm, like, on the phone with my kids still actively. But I look up and I'm, like, like giving him, like, a, what? what? You know, like, are do we, what's going on? And he looks at me and he was like, ma'am, were you smoking in the airplane lavatory? And I was like, no. And I like, because I'm on the phone. And I, I thought he was coming to yell at us for being on the phone, but he wasn't. And I was like. Right. I did too. And I'm thinking, that's a dumb it's question. The only thing of course I'm not smoking in there. And then I look over and he's still standing there. And then I look up and I'm like. Yes, because I'm not processing this as quickly as he is taking in his thought process. Right. Because, again, I'm in the middle of a conversation with my kids and we're repeating and I'm like, "Ah, can we just get going? It's been a long travel day. And so I look up at him and he goes, were you vaping in the airplane lavatory? And I was like, no. I don't vape. I don't smoke. And he was like, vaping is smoking. I'm like, yes, I'm aware. I don't, I don't smoke. I don't even own a vape or anything to vape or smoke with. Yeah. And then he was like. And then he just kind of was like, meh. I'm and then yeah, kind of had this little like, like, bitch and then, pivot. And then Nicole and I looked at each other I'm like, like, what? What in the heck? What is going on? To which. Passengers like it was, nearby. Uh, yeah, we. Yeah, I. I spoke to this woman who was sitting next to us, and she looked at us with these bewildered eyes and was like, "I can tell you guys don't smoke. I used to smoke. You don't." She's smoke. like, "You know, I smoked for thirty years, and I was at a hotel the other night, and I was on the first floor, and I had the window open, and I could tell someone on the third floor on the opposite side of the hotel was smoking on their balcony because that's what a smoker can do." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> And meanwhile, my kids are still on the phone. Yeah, we're like talking to our kids. And so I was like, thanks. And and then and so then I turn back, then I get this hovering feeling again. And I look up. It's our friend from Same guy. uh, Same guy. And he and I looked up and I was like, yes. Not in a rude way, but like in a distracted, like I'm divided in multiple directions. What do you need? Kind of way. And I look up and I'm like, yes. And it's uh, like, ma'am, unfortunately, the pilot has ordered you off the plane. He's like, you're going to need to collect your personal belongings now and deplane. The pilot and the flight attendants are ordering you being removed from this plane. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I literally, like, I'm not processing it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was cylinders. so bewildering. So, it was such a bewildering so experience. I'm not saying it in, like, trying to be a jackass way, but I'm kind of, like, completely shocked because I'm just trying to finish this flipping phone call with my right. kids. And it's been multiple interruptions. It was a fast run over here. Then it was the disgusting bathroom. I'm like, that's insulting. Please. So then I said, are you serious? And he's like, I am completely serious. And I'm like. And then you said to him, but on what legal grounds? I'm like, on what legal grounds am I being taken off this aircraft? And he's like, for smoking in an airplane lavatory. And I was like, I didn't smoke. Search me. And then people around. And audience, this is the thing that bothered me the most. This is it. the thing that bothered me the most. There was no. And I mean no attempt by American, anyone on that plane, to even barely verify their claim. 
they Not just even barely. They could have actually smell? investigated the the thing. They would have seen that we didn't. They could have smelled us. They could have. I would have strip searched for them. They would. I offered right then and there. I'll take a strip search for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could. Have, I I offered right then and there. I'm like, search us. I said, search us. We don't have. We have never smoked a day in our lives. And you know what? The like all the people around us were they totally were, on our side. They didn't smoke, and they I even said that the smoke. She was barely gone in the bathroom. There's no time. She yeah, like the whole. It the felt smoke. nice because all the passengers were totally yes, sticking up for us. It restored her faith in humanity. But, and then the, he was like, "Do not get involved," and it was just like escalating. Listen, right? I just want to say, like. The only thing that makes it appalling to me is not that they have to kick a person off for smoking. Obviously, they do. And mistakes can even happen. But when there is absolutely no attempt, zero attempt to, to clarify, to verify one ounce of the evidence, they just said it and ordered it. That is absurd. So then, Absurd. And American, you should be ashamed of yourself. I stand up and it's I was ridiculous. like, and to to explain further, the people removing us don't even work for American. They work for Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. Apparently the guy who was the supervisor of the gate works for the airport. Yeah. But and, I don't blame him. Yes. He just, he had to do his protocol. Right. But I'm so angry then, with the I'm, crew of that I'm flight. like standing up and I see the woman because remember like hyper responsible me who was like, is it OK if I use the bathroom? She's like, don't explain. Just go. It's cool. We're good. I'm like, you know that I was barely in there. In the world. So I look back at her, not in like a combative way, but I look back at her and I said. What? Like, you know, and she was mouthing very big, like very, you can tell exactly what she's saying. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I can't believe this is happening to you kind of thing. Right. And so I'm like, you know, I wasn't smoking back there. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And, and you know, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And the people around us that aren't supposed to be getting involved are like, this is not right. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, thanks, I, people. It was nice, though, that they didn't automatically, like, Reddit style, just assume we're horrible people. They actually, right. like, the people around us believed us. Yes. First of all, have any the smell evidence. of someone who we didn't have any would obviously have Zero. the smell if they just went and lit up. Even if you're vaping, you would have had a scent. Something. There was no smell Absolutely. of that. There was no trace of that in the also, bathroom. Also, how do you even get a vape through security anyway? I just want to know. But anyway, let's assume that somebody. I'm sure you can travel with a vape, but it, oh, all right. Fair I enough. mean, if someone I guess vapes, you're just not allowed to charge you're it just or not use, allowed to it use it or all whatever. Right. Fair enough. So then I'm like getting off and i said again and patrick's a little bit ahead of me at this point and i turned to this male flight attendant who's at the front like servicing the front and it's a smallish plane so it's like a lot of people right and i i look at him and i was like i'm sorry what legal grounds is this on and he he looks at me and he said it wasn't my call it was their call i'm so sorry and so I look over at the dude who's like, it's their call and that's it, right? And I was like, dude, he's saying that it was your call. Why is this your call? Because now I'm like, I know that legally they can't do this. But he had a little pissy moment with my husband getting on there about the bag. and then Yeah, like is this down. vindictive and or so something? And so I'm like, I know that it, that wouldn't be legally okay and he can get in trouble. So of course he's not going to say that. But I'm like... 
thinking. I'm not saying you at that point. You did ask us. I did about later. The bag. I did later, but not at that point. I'm thinking like, are we looking for a reason because you didn't like us? Kind of thing. Like I don't know. And so I'm just trying to process it, and I'm like, they're saying it was your call, and he's like, that is not correct, and 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 this is not a discussion. You need to move now. And so I had said that let enough though that my husband had heard it, who had already started to deplane because he's like two, three steps in front of me. And so he turns around and he was like, they're saying it's your call. Well, what I heard, what I overheard was that it wasn't the pilots. And so what I did was I was only like a foot outside the plane. I turned back around and stepped back into the plane. And I said, wait a minute. I- are, is it the airport doing this? Did you guys kick us off? I said it towards the pilots, but not in like a really aggressive way. He was way. like, I want to talk to the pilots. Well, this this flight attendant dude, like straight up, like blocks the door to the cockpit. Oh, yeah. He blocks me like open. I'm going to get violent or something. And I'm like, no. If anybody has get... ever met me, he's not a I am not. <laughs> yeah. No. I, come on, people. Yeah. And, so... then, and then the guy was like, sir, I'm gonna have to ask you to get off the plane and so i got yeah. off the plane so we're at going, this point i'm very very Patrick upset is super pissed oh he's using gosh. some cursy words he walks out there he picks up his bag he puts on it search me search me starts taking pictures of the guy that kicked us off the plane i'm like i was trying to get a picture of his badge so i could get his name what i didn't care about but, the picture of him but but it made him uncomfortable so i deleted the pictures so he's like this is unacceptable and I am not feel comfortable with the way you're escalating, whatever. And I'm like, I am also not comfortable with the escalation happening here. I want you to go take a seat, please. I look, the gate directly across from us now has two armed police officers, not TSA, not whatever, two armed police officers. They had a big overreaction. I was pissed. The thing that made me mad about it was the fact that, again, it's not even that a mistake was made, and it's not even the inconvenience of having to stay at a hotel that night, although that was annoying. They did pay for it, of course, but because the manager came out and she was like, I can tell you didn't smoke. So, I mean, we were vindicated on the spot. The problem that I had with all of that was the fact that it was a moment of injustice, so to speak, and the fact that, you know, we're perp walked down the plane by like escorted off like we're some kind of criminal. Although, well, we've done nothing wrong. Although what I will say that was not in their advantage was the customers, the other like people on the flight were like, this is wrong. Right. So the, nobody agreed with them. They were all like, what? Well, at least in the pl- part of the plane we were in. I have no idea if the front people thought we the were The front crazy. people were not that far from us, though. I mean, it was yeah, a small plane. That's true. So anyway, we get off, and I'm like, you go get a snack, and because you had wanted to get something, and we didn't have time, get a drink, whatever. He got, There were some vending machines nearby, and I had asked the gentleman, I said, look, is this about the bag? I know that you can't say that it was because it would be outrageous. But like, why is this? What? Why? What? What is the point? And he was insulted. So was his little like airport friend that was standing there helping with the gate check and stuff. And he was like, I am insulted that you would jump to that conclusion. And I'm like, well, insulted party of two, because I too have been on the receiving end of a false conclusion. Right. This, we are still in real time. 
right. acting that out. And I'm not meaning to be, but I literally, you've got to try to think about it from my point of view. The flight attendants are saying that this was your call. And he's like, well, that is a straight up lie. It was their call. And I go, well, sir, I'm a mother and I don't know if you have children, but I can tell you when my children say she did it, he did it, she did it, he did it, she did it, somebody did it. Yeah. And it wasn't me. Yeah. So it gets frustrating if you can appreciate that. And he was like, well, they were lying to you then because they didn't want to have to deal with it. So I said to him, I said, you know, I would like to please speak with the super. I was very cool, calm and collected through this. I said, well, you were mad, too. But I was mad. But when we got out there, you were more calm than I was for sure. You were calm at somehow. I don't know how. I, I wasn't calm at first. I was very so, mad. So I said to him, I said, I would like to speak with your supervisor. He said, I am the supervisor. And I said, OK, congratulations on that. Well, I didn't say it in like a sarcastic way. I was like, good, good. I mean, that's cool for you. Sure. Can I speak with your manager? And he's like, I'm going to have to page her. And I'm like, I've got time. So we wait. wait. And the manager comes and the manager apologizes that we go through this because obviously we don't smoke. She also used to be a smoker. And I'm learning as used to be smokers or smokers of any kind have good noses for Yeah, I mean, we offered to open up every bag. Do a cavity search, whatever. I was and she, not prone to have a cavity search. And she folks. said, it's totally not necessary. I know you guys didn't smoke because I used to smoke and I just, I can tell you don't, you didn't smoke. You, we don't, I could smell it a mile away. Yeah. I'm like, so we have heard. So once again, yeah. So the airport gave us vouchers for hotel, for a cab ride to the hotel, for some food. Ride back. Cab ride back. They booked us on a flight the next morning. And that was it. They encouraged us because they have to write the incident report for their client's complaint, their client being American Airlines, which is now hashtag we're at American Air, not American Airlines, I guess. Now on social media, learn that. Mm. And so we go do our walk of shame out of baggage claim to the cab area. And we go to our crappy airport motel. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. It was an airport hotel. And as we're over there, I'm feeling very defeated about how much I just wanted to be home. And I'm done with this. And then as we go to get out of the car, I realize, oh, I don't have my laptop bag. Which my laptop is locked down pretty securely because I use it for electronic health records and whatnot. You can't crack into it easily. There are factory resets. If we weren't able to get it back, we could wipe it, yeah. whatever. But Find My find my showed it over a field, and so I thought it's on the plane. Right. So then, Patrick, so we go back, so we go back to the airport. Yeah. I talk with American Airlines customer service, who happens to be friends and have the cell phone number of our friend the supervisor over at the gate we were at and i was like oh you guys are friends well he will remember who i am if just you say the smoking lady if you can <laughs> check if he would be willing to check we left on good terms apologies were made yeah uh oh yeah i apo- i actually apologized to that guy because he was uncomfortable with the pictures and i said I told him I was just trying to get his name. And you have to consent to get and your, and, your and I was like, again. you know what? You're right. I w- I wasn't trying to 
I, even though I did say like, I'm going to take your picture. It was actually not because it was not because I was trying to intimidate him. It was because I was trying to get his name. Honestly. He was also, he's also a verbal processor. So he was thinking out loud about all the things. And it was a shocking event. I mean, I was, my mind was blown that it was happening. I couldn't believe it. And every single employee at the airport that I mentioned this to, which were a few. They were aghast. They were like, what? They were like, that is awful. I've worked here for 15 years. I've never heard of this. They're like, even someone who was vaping on the plane. Yeah, I mean, it was just like, it was just an unbelievable freak situation. It was. was. So, essentially, she gets in contact because they're buddies. I'm like, you're going to have a drink about us, I'm sure. But what I will say, and she calls Hey, I have this really nice woman who thinks she maybe left her laptop up there. But a by, really nice woman. By the time <laughs> he's like, Ugh. I'm in tears at this point. I'm in tears because I'm exhausted. I just want to go home. And I'm not feeling missing. great. My computer's now gone. I'm like, this we were going to record this. We were going to record the recap. I'm like, we at least we can get work done. I'm like, at the hotel. But because her computer was yeah. gone, we couldn't do it. So mm-hmm. I, she comes back and and Patrick sends me a screenshot of my computer somewhere over Dallas because somebody on that a, plane, a field in Irving, Texas. Speaking of not following the rules, didn't switch their phone over into airplane mode. So that's the last known position before they reached cruising altitude that it <laughs> yeah. localized my MacBook. <laughs> Yeah, and so much. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So she comes back and she's like, I'm sorry. It's not there. I think it is probably on the airplane. You should call AA and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah. but can I just say I'm angry for you? Because why did they think you were smoking? Why were you removed from this aircraft? And I was like, uh, uh. so we Part go. Part of me hopes that that alarm went off. I kind of hope to <laughs> not for like. Any kind of public humiliation, I want them to know in their heart of hearts that they made a mistake. Yeah. But here's what I said well, we'll never know. to Patrick. They probably don't give a shit. And this this was the teachable moment for me. Because he's like, what's even what the worst thing about this is the insinuation that and without any evidence and no willingness to even review evidence. And I was like, you know what? This is a good empathy and privilege check then for us because people get accused of stuff mm-hmm. with no evidence. They're profiled on something and that's not fair and it feels shitty. And yes. at the end of the day, the airport gave us a room and gave us a cab and gave us some meal vouchers. Like this happens on a much bigger scale yeah. with much more serious Well, the things they gave us are a Band-Aid, but yes, I get They're what you're a Band-Aid, saying. but it's like, it's also like an inconvenience and annoyance, and now it's a story. But some people aren't so lucky when they get falsely accused of things. So, Oh, yeah, no, it was, it was like, definitely it, it was a, a good, good ex- privilege check. Yeah, you're like in the shoes of somebody else, you know, and you got to experience And something. those shoes didn't feel good. They so did not. I am and sorry I, to people that have been yeah. falsely accused. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of, less I have a lot of direct more. empathy for that. Yeah. I will say, I am not done with America, and I am definitely going to demand. They, I will now, I mean, I, I'm going to let them know in very nice tones, don't worry, but I'm going to let them know that, like, I will never fly with them again i will pay double to fly on another airplane airline unless they make it right they got to do something they got to give us something and i don't know what it is maybe it's first class 
Maybe it's round like, trip. I will never fly again unless my seat folds into a bed. No, they can... need they they have work <laughs> then to maybe do. I'll they have a lot you. of work to do. Like, that I was mean, pretty insane. I'm not going to hold a forever grudge because no. not, not all of American is bad. What happened there wasn't great. Here is the icing on the cake, though, folks. The next morning, we're booked on the first flight out to our home airport. The only people that fly to our home airport from Dallas is American, so we had, like, no choice but to fly with them. And we land. We had, like, an 8, 9 o'clock from flight. Dallas, from yes. Dallas. From Dallas, that was our only we choice. We land. Yeah. And as we're exiting the jetway, guess who we bump into? Who's walking guess into the is... plane as we're walking out of the plane? It's last night's crew. That kicked us off the airplane. And we're wearing the same clothes. We are the same kind of look. And I'm sure we looked pleased. Well, Patrick didn't notice them at first because I was like, hey, did you spot our friends? But Uh I noticed them. And I wasn't cruel, but I made direct eye contact. Like, meet my gaze. I'm here to recognize that I know that you know who I am. Not in a vindictive way, but in a let that marinate, folks. Let's just reflect on the moment. Let's reflect on the choices and and the effect of the choices that were made. Because I was just sitting there like... I'm so glad you got that moment. (laughs) I mean, it did make it... It wasn't justice, but it at least... I got to look in the face of my accuser. You got a little nugget. You got like this little nugget of looking at I the face of your accusers. I got to look at the face of my accusers. So I, much information was sent through that game. Right. I didn't glare. They got the dialogue. I wasn't <laughs> passive aggressive, but I did like look at them like this is the result of your choices right. kind of thing. Not yeah. in a judgy, and not I, in a and shaming. Folks, but... I know what the, her gazes are like. <laughs> they got the message. Do, I promise you. Shame. No matter how nice. Quote, unquote, she was. But I'm bumped. That was uh, (laughs) well played, Morris. Well played. Thank you for that. Okie dokie, folks. There was a lot to cover there. (laughs) But again, a, a big thanks to my handsome hubs for coming on to share about what he learned and took away from this conference weekend. I always value hearing his feedback, especially because he's not coming at this from a clinical mindset. Though, as you've heard, he's learned a lot along the way. And hey, fam, we can relate, right? I think it really is a credit to the time and attention that Patrick puts into our family, whether it's for better understanding me or Jack, his mom, our other loved ones with OCD, or even potentially himself. Like Patrick shared in his memory of the misophonia talk, the panel noted, yeah, wow, the power of a mother's love, right? And I would extend that even more family. So for today's intrusive thought segment, which if you're newer to our full-length family gatherings, this is the application segment of my show. And I want to say this. Yes, 100%. The power of a parent's love. Whether it's a mother's love or father's love, a guardian or a grandparent's love, the power of a sibling's love, of a partner's love, of a child's love of a best friend's love. Because that's the thing about family, right? It's like whether you're gushing over each other or you're burnt out and you are like over some of this drama. Oh, the power of that love, family. It is no small thing. 
I talked with so many family members this past weekend. Steadfast with renewed vigor, they're abuzz at the conference to find answers, access treatments, foster hope. You, family, you make such an incredible difference in the lives of folks battling their OCD and OCD-related disorders. And while our loved ones are working so very hard, they are, you too are working so very hard. So thank you. Thank you for everything you do to support and love your loved ones. Love isn't just a feeling. You know, in ICBT, we talk about doubt, not the feeling doubt. No, doubt the verb. Thank you for loving, actively loving the verb, your family. Thank you for everything you do to support your loved ones. And my charge to you all, whether you're the person with lived experience, a family member, a practitioner, a researcher, or maybe just a listener saying, this is really interesting and compelling and I want to learn more. That is helping to make a difference because you're learning about OCD and information is power. One less obsessive Christmas disorder shirt ordered or a few more referrals for help given. One more client that can get to the right person for the right diagnosis, for the right treatment to help manage this crippling disorder. It all makes a difference. So my charge to you, fam, is to allow yourself the space, the permission, the time to reward the investment and tireless fight you've given. You know, for kiddos, we know that reward reinforcement schedules, they help a lot. And we encourage families to build that into the structure, whether they're doing ERP or ICBT, because this treatment, it's hard. It's hard. But somewhere on the road to adulthood, we tend to stop that. We stop rewarding our efforts and our successes. And we just say, nope, that's the expectation. It's what you need to do. It's what you got to do. Suck it up, buttercup, and do it. And while I get it, trust me, the hyper-responsible part of me definitely gets it. We are working so hard. You hear me? We're working so hard. So please, do yourself this favor. And hey, if you can't do it for yourself yet, then do it for me. I want you to take some time to treat yourself this week, fam. Treat yourself. Because this work that you're doing, it's hard too. Oh, but it matters too. You matter too. So thanks for tuning in, fam. And hey, we have about a month of water cooler chats left before the launch of season two, which I'm so excited about. And I just have to say, I have a growing list of amazing guests already lining up to join in on the fun. So join us next week, fam, for another water cooler chat where we're going to be diving, no pun intended, although maybe a little bit of a pun intended, I guess you'll just have to wait and see, into BFRBs for the summertime. Yes, please. I look forward to seeing you then. Thank you for joining me and our OCD family community. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like and subscribe to the OCD Family Podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Did you find this content helpful? Please consider leaving a review. The more people that know they're not alone, the better. For more information regarding today's podcast, please visit ocdfamilypodcast.com and remember to join the email list while you're there. It will provide you with the most up-to-date information, resources, and the demo on the family chatter. Oh yeah, nothing says family. 
like saying we're not to blame, but we're getting kicked off a plane. That's right. I went there. And you can too at OCDFamilyPodcast.com.